0: Welcome to AI Zen with Andrew and Jen, a podcast where a designer and a data scientist break it down and duke it out over how to create awesome AI experiences.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, dogs and animals, adults and children, welcome back to AI Zen. We are happy to have you here today with us. And um, this is going to be an episode that I wish I had had on record like a year ago before um, my job was helping teams get AI into their products because there's this other little step that we didn't talk about an awful lot that can really get to be a big blocker to teams launching AI and having it work well. And um, that blocker is the fact that You're going to hit launch on your model, and guess what? You're not done. And you didn't plan for the fact that it's never done. So, today, Andrew is um, going to talk to us about model maintenance and um, why you don't just, uh, AI isn't just a one and done thing, it's continuous. So, Andrew, could you just, let's talk, let's start there. Like, why can't I just launch my AI widget and be done? Yeah,
0: so it's a great question, and it's it's a problem that's difficult to understand. And let's go back to comparing AI to the traditional uh, software programming, traditional software approaches, where... Um, I may be building a traditional software system, and it's very rules-based. And maybe I'm connecting a couple of systems together. Maybe I'm reading a spreadsheet and interpreting data uh, from it. But in sense, once I have achieved that traditional programming task uh, based on rules, I'm done. You know the system is integrated, or I've created the rule that says, "Look, if the sales price is over a hundred dollars, then I need to offer a discount." It um, was all very simple, straightforward things, and and not a, a lot of maintenance going on. But if I'm talking about an AI application where the the data that I'm dealing with is very unstructured, and uh, frankly, the data and the user behavior are likely to change over time. That's going to make it very difficult for me to uh, ever be done. Particularly uh, if that data is is changing a lot over time, I may have a lot of maintenance work that I need to be doing.
1: Yeah. So what you're saying is, as always, the problem is humans.
0: The problem is always humans. That is for sure.
1: <laughs> you really are, which is going to lead to a different episode a long time from now that we're going to have. <laughs> not today, Satan, not today. Um, all right. So you're talking about um, situations, types of examples where you might need uh, to update your model because humans are interacting with it and humans change over time and the world changes over time. So we have to uh, update the kinds of things we are um, saying to users through our AI or what kinds of insights we're providing them. Am I kind of getting that right?
0: You're getting it. And as a matter of fact, let's let's start with an even s- simpler base case. Uh, let's say you're, you're building a model. I'll pick on chatbots again. right? Yeah. And the way we tell people to build chatbots is we say go find out the kinds of questions that users are going to ask and train your chatbot based on them. Um, because what we'd really like to do is to have your chatbot already running, collecting Questions from the users and then train on those. But we have sort of a chicken and egg problem, right? We want questions from the users for the chatbot, but we need the chatbot to get the questions. So, yeah. there are various ways that we get around this, and usually there's some sort of a, a simulation. Either we put up a mock UI and, and gather questions, or in the unhappier cases, our SMEs make up the questions uh, that the users may ask, right? And mm-hmm. what this turns out to to do is we have a gap between what we've trained and what our real behavior is going to be.
1: yeah. I feel like researchers are really going to empathize with this um, way before AI was a thing. They were always finding out, hey, we designed something. And guess what, guys? The thing you designed does not work the way we thought it would. And this is the same thing.
0: But Absolutely. Age-old problem, right? Age-old problem. And, and the way I, I describe this is, uh, you know, to think, what's the the size of the problem? What's the the size of the correction I need to do? And frankly, the, the size of your training problem is the distance between what your users actually want to do, want to say, and uh, what you've trained the system on, on what you think they're going to say, right?
1: Whoa. And I'll give you a tip. Go ahead. Okay, yeah, give me a tip. Well, I want to know, like, what does that mean? Do you guys have, like, a scale that you can apply to that chatbot that I made for the AI hackathon and be like, this is off by a 7.5, so you got a lot of work to do? Or is it just kind of feeling it out?
0: It'd be great if I could tell you that 7.5 number, um, whatever scale you want to think of generally it's going to be bigger than you think. Uh, most people say, Oh yeah, I know what my users are going to do. Right. Or I know what they're going to say and they're not as right as they think they are. So this, this is the number one reason that you're, you're not done when you deploy. Uh, you really do want to think your first deployment is a version one. Right. And uh at, As you deploy that version one, you're going to find out the things that users are asking that you can't believe they are asking. You never imagined that they were going to ask these things.
1: So this leads me to think that it is better to get your model out there when it's not perfect, rather than polish and polish and polish and launch it three months later. It's better to just put it out there and start getting feedback.
0: Better to iterate, start small and expand and, and start small in every way. Uh, the number of things you're trying to handle, uh, the number of users you're trying out, uh, your timelines, all that stuff, all of these good practices, you know, agile, agile, iterative design, iterative thinking. These are all good ideas.
1: Boy, it is kind of a relief to know that, data science is also using agile practices and at least in that one place we're not going to have to relearn everything between each other we can share those foundational like design methodologies and that'll be good absolutely Um, so (laughs) speaking of the chatbot example so if i if my bot was 7.5 richter scale bad um how are you going to give me an estimate for how much it's going to cost to deploy and fix and and plan all of that?
0: Well, so the first thing that I would do is I would take your, your model and I would test it on this, on um, brand new data, and I would show you the results. I would, I would actually have to ask you for, for the answers, right? So the, the users ask these certain questions. I would ask you, well, what are the right answers to these questions? I'll show you what the bot picked, and we'll see. Look, did it get 50% of them right, 80%, 10%? Uh, and, and that's going to help us a whole lot.
1: Ooh, so, part of it is how much dialogue I've built into that bot. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's not a bot, what would be an example of not a bot situation?
0: Not a bot. So, uh, let, let's see. There are- <laughs> I had an answer.
1: <laughs>
0: so, uh, any, any other sort of classification problem would be a good good example. Um, you know, we talked before uh, with email that you know they're, they're spam and not spam, but you can certainly think about more classes than that, right? Um, you can. Even uh, the webmail that I have has, you know, several different uh, classes. I think it has not spam. It has social. It has uh, promotions, and then I think it has a real spam folder, mm-hmm. right? So um, that would be one example.
1: What about? So a lot of the problems that we're or the use cases we're trying to use Watson for is to help people predict. Things um, and be more informed in those predictions mm-hmm. um, by providing them recommendations and insights. Uh, do we train those kinds of models? Like, if a user can tell us that was a bad prediction, Watson, does that lead to the same kind of model maintenance necessity?
0: Sure. So the, the, this general advice abstracts to any type of model that that you're working with, whether it's one of our pre-built ones, like uh, Watson Assistant or Speech-to-Text, or whether you're building a custom ML model with something like Watson Studio, or even just a Python custom model. This, this idea of... Um, user behavior differing from what you trained on and the need to update your model, this still applies.
1: Oh, that leads me to a question that oh, I should not be asking during this, but I have to. Um, I do. When when we update those models, are those models for each individual user? Is it one master model that then is updated for everyone based on that feedback? How does that work?
0: Depends. The the answer is always, it depends. It depends, it depends, it depends. Um, But for most of our services, we will build something we'll call a base model um, that you can use out of the box, and everybody gets that. And most of our customers end up building a custom model, often on top of that base model, sometimes Mm -hmm. aside from that base model. Right. Gotcha. So it depends yeah. a bit on which service you're using and how you've uh, configured it. But that, that is possible that you will get that everyone will get an update or only, you know, per user would get an update.
1: OK, that makes sense. So back to this whole how do I scope and plan for this model maintenance actually is who are the people that do model maintenance?
0: Right. So it's a lot of the same team that you involved in the beginning. Uh, So you're going to need your SMEs to be involved, your subject matter experts. They're going to have to help provide answers for you on the new data that you're receiving. Uh, You're going to need your programmers uh, because you're likely to develop new flows in your application based on uh, new things that your SMEs are discovering from this feedback. And you're going to need one of your data scientists to help you figure out the best way to expand your model uh, to include this new data from from your end users
1: but my team has is now busy on building a different model now that this model has deployed right I
0: hope not I hope they're not really busy sometimes they are. Actually, frequently they are. Uh, the, the sad reality is that uh, folks are not fantastic at budgeting for ongoing maintenance. Um, But if you're so lucky as to be starting a project uh, and you're listening to the show, uh, you're learning right now, I I don't ramp my team down to zero as soon as I've deployed my model. I need to keep some of these folks uh, engaged. I need to keep them around, not necessarily full time, but I need their availability to help with this ongoing maintenance.
1: Does that work? How, what does that look? I mean, for you as a data scientist, how much time are you spending maintaining older projects?
0: I'm, I'm trying to think about what the, the specific number, but maybe instead of a general number, I would say uh, definitely I'm working part time on several old models. Uh, and it's it's not as much work as the the initial building, uh, at least most times. Uh, again, consider that. So we'll step back, and, and in, a, in a data science project, a lot of the times we we spend the bulk of our uh, time figuring out. Where to get the data and how to organize it, uh, how to pre-process it, how to format it for the for the model, etc. So the good news is that I don't have nearly that kind of work to do on my maintenance because I've already figured out those problems. Uh, Frankly, we see people spend a majority of their time getting the data ready, and there's not actually that much time spent in modeling. Uh, So in, in terms of you know from the Data scientist point: It's not a huge time commitment to do to do a maintenance. Uh, I'm I'm going to need time for my SMEs to get the answers, right, uh, based on the new data I'm receiving. But once they send it to me, uh, you know, not a ton of work to to um, to update my model based on that.
1: This kind of reminds me. I don't know whether what you're describing is more like a typical product team and they work on that product for years at a time and it could go through multiple versions during that time. Or if it's more like my uncle who has a research lab at a university, and he's always maintaining multiple experiments at one time. And he has uh, his grad students and PhD students kind of helping him do that. But uh, it takes a long time before they complete an experiment. So, he's just ramping up new students to help him maintain that every year.
0: So it's probably somewhere in the middle. Again, it, it's always going to depend on on your use case and, and the kind of data that you see. Um, but if you if you think about doing you know s- several iterations, uh, the, the first iteration where you're getting to any sort of deployment, that's probably your hardest one, right? Uh, the second one's going to be uh, work, but not quite as bad as version one, and it should tail off or plateau at some points, right? So by the time you're at six, seven, eight, you've got the process pretty much down and there's not a ton of time being put into it.
1: Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Well, if I'm a, a project manager or an offering manager, whoever whoever is the kind of business strategy-minded person that is responsible for leading the team in a direction, and I have led my team in the direction of implementing AI, what are what do I need to do to prepare myself and my team so that once it launches and my customers are using it and giving feedback, I know that I'm I'm ready and I can handle keeping up those, you know, those changes up to date and my model getting good feedback from users.
0: Yeah. So I think you you first need to recognize that you're not gonna get a hundred percent out of the gate now, you probably won't get hundred percent ever uh there will be there will be mistakes there'll be things that you didn't think to train for and that's okay right that's okay take a deep breath it's okay um <laughs> recognize that you're going to spend time doing this uh and, and build for yourself the ways uh to, to support this. So, so gather feedback, you know, find a way to, for users to say, yeah, I like this, or I didn't like this. Make sure you're recording what the users are saying and what the system responded with. Right. So that mm-hmm. you can do this, uh, this, this improvement based on the feedback and make sure folks yeah. are available.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think that might be one of the most difficult uh problems to this is especially if you're you're in a company and we have limited resources and those resources get pulled all the time because of other priorities. So how you how you make sure that your priorities don't get completely you know run over and forgotten about um, what if I don't have someone to do this for me? Do I just stop training my model? Is there some way I can do it elsewhere?
0: Well, you, you can certainly stop if you think your model is good enough. But as we talked about, you know, thinking small, iterating small, um, it's hard hard to believe you couldn't find an hour a week uh, to, to work mm, on that sort I of see. thing, right? So so grab yeah. grab all the feedback from your model and you know get through what you can in an hour, and and try it with that.
1: Okay. So is the model training something that someone like me could learn how to do then on a regular basis? If it's just like an hour a week and I'm the product manager, could I just pop in for an hour every week and and make those fixes?
0: Yeah, we could get you there. Absolutely.
1: (laughs) Excellent. Great. Problem solved. Um, Now... There, I feel like there's another option, though, that I keep... And maybe I'm misinterpreting it, but I would say that I keep seeing new companies pop up for, yes, data collection and data cleaning and data prep and all of that. Are there also companies that are popping up for model maintenance?
0: Well, I'm sure there are. We'll do it for yes. you. <laughs>
1: Okay. Got it. Um, I was like one last big question. I wonder if you had a, an example or a case study or a project that you did in your head where you could just give us a real world example of a team or a company that was starting with AI and how they got ready properly and how that model maintenance went after they launched their AI.
0: Sure. So uh, I'm, I'm uh, trying to recall the, the specifics, but there was some sort of chatbot that we had built, and we had trained it on uh, a, a number of intents. Uh, we we did some reviews with our our SMEs while we were building, and you know after it's deployed, and we'd gotten to a, a pretty good performance level on all the things that um, all the things that we initially handled. We wanted the bot to handle, uh, and then it came out that uh, all of a sudden users started asking new questions. Uh, I think uh, what was it HIPAA or GDPR? Actually, GDPR had just come out, and that had completely skewed the kinds of questions that we were getting. Right, and uh, the model performance plummeted for a little bit, and we just had to go back and uh, you know start at the beginning for GDPR and figure out. Like what are the questions that people are asking, and we had to sort them into buckets and update the model to to handle those. Um, but we're able to do that.
1: Oof, that sounds stressful. Do you recommend just shutting a model down at that point or putting a big sticker on the UI that says under construction with a cute little animated construction guy? Or do you just let it suck for a while and just work furiously to launch a better one.
0: Well, I, I might take issue with the idea of letting it suck. Um, so <laughs> Because um, when I say it didn't handle GDPR, I mean, like, it, it didn't give an answer, well, hey, GDPR is blah, 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 and here's what you need to do. It would give an answer like, "I'm sorry, I don't understand that." You know, here's a web page where you can ask other questions, or you know, where you can email somebody, right? That sort of thing. So you you always want to build in some sort of a fallback option, and that that fallback is going to be invoked. Uh, so one of the things that you're doing with this feedback is saying, "Hey, what's falling into this fallback option, and are there patterns I can extract from there?"
1: I feel like my animated construction worker was just as nice of a solution, but we can do it your way. That's (laughs) fine too. (laughs) Either way. Oh God. I've been talking to some OMS um, who are trying to kind of write up a little guide for exactly what we're, we're talking about that they can share around with other product managers who are about to release AI. And the way they talk about this is, Uh, they call it model ops Mm -hmm. and they're thinking about it as like a different team almost. But I think what I'm learning through this conversation is that it's actually not a different team. It's just a different stage of the journey that you go on when you decide, hey, AI could be a really useful a solution to the kinds of things that my users need.
0: Absolutely, and, and whether or not it's a completely different team or partially different team, uh, you know the, the skills and experiences that you needed to build the first version, you're going to need again.
1: So, same skills. Even though you can ramp me up to fix some things, I can't fix everything. So, I will need some technical data scientist type people. You got it. Okay. Hmm. And is there ever an end to this aside from the whole team quits?
0: There's always an end. Uh, The end is... Good enough. Now, what that you have to decide what good enough means. Uh, So we we definitely urge people don't live and die by the accuracy of your model. Uh, Look at the the business metrics. You know what are you trying to achieve with this AI model? Right. And if you're achieving a cost reduction of you know four hundred percent, but your model is only eighty percent accurate, that may be good enough. Um, Yeah. Don't, 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 sweat, uh, don't sweat model errors if, if you're killing it on your business objectives.
1: I feel like you gave us a really good explanation of why we named this podcast AI Zen. It's just about chilling out about all this AI stuff <laughs> and making it a little less stressful for everyone. That whole breathing thing you were talking about.
0: It's a wonderful name in so many ways. <laughs>
1: So many ways. As soon as you say data scientist and I and algorithms and things like that, I, I think we naturally, those of us who don't work in that world, get pretty hyped up about. Oh my God, science! science. <laughs> We're definitely going to need to do this right.
0: My mantra for most of these things is: you know, can be done, has been done, will be done. Right? These are solvable problems. Uh, it's work. Right? I don't mean to say there's no work, but you can feel good that uh, most of these things have been done before and, and can be done again. <laughs>
1: I feel like you, uh, you're on a roll. Like that's going to be our first t-shirt that we sell on our little shop. It's going to be I, great. I love how
0: you said first t-shirt.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have so many continuous t ideas. <laughs> that's great. Uh, okay. So I, I think we covered like for me, the basics of the kinds of questions I was having around this topic. Is there anything else you want to no, add? I think
0: we did a great job. <laughs>
1: We do a great job for a Friday afternoon. I love it. Yeah, I'm okay with it too. All right, so um, thanks for listening. We will see you guys next time. Have a good whatever next day tomorrow is for you. Bye-bye.